Good morning. So this has nothing to do with the sermon today, but if I feel distracted or I do this, it's because I went down to a goatee and my face is cold for the first time in 10 years. <laughs> and I'm trying to get used to it. I did it last night and I'm sorry if I'm distracted. I don't mean to be, just pray for me. Josh, stay on topic. Stay focused. And I apologize for distracting you. Okay, Lord, thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing us back into your word and bringing the focus on you, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for opening our ears and our hearts to what you have for us. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now on to the good stuff. So we're in our Money Rescue series. This is part two, and we are going from pain to provision. Have you ever felt like you've lost a blessing? Like, Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do, and things are going well, and now I feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath my feet. You know, things were going well at work. I was getting that paycheck, and then my hours got cut. Or I was going with friends. We were talking, and then all of a sudden there was a distance, and, um, and now I haven't been able to see them. Or I lost my job completely or rent has been raised, or, man, my gas tank is empty and the paycheck just isn't quite stretching enough for me to put gas in the car. Whatever it is, God knows your circumstance. Whatever situation you're, you're in right now, whatever issue you're trying to figure out how how am I going to get through this? How am I going to stretch those pennies just a little bit further? Know that God has you. And he is going to provide for you. But we have to trust in him. In 1 Kings 17, we read that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they were openly defying God. They were worshiping Baal. And God gave Elijah the task of declaring a drought over the nation. The thing about a drought is it, it affects everybody. It didn't just affect Ahab and Jezebel. It affected the nation. It affected Elijah. It affected people not just that they were thirsty. It hurt crops. When your crops don't have water, they die. It hurt the livestock. When your livestock can't drink, they die. It hurt businesses. If you were a potter, you need water to form clay. Without water, you can't do that. Your business dies. If you're a soldier and you're out trying to guard the city and you don't have that water to keep you refreshed and energized, you're not going to be able to do your job. You're not going to be able to keep the enemy out. You're not going to be making your patrols. You're going to be tired when you're standing on the wall. 
Everybody suffered from this drought. But the nation was headed for ruin long before the droughts took place. Everybody was worshiping Baal. Everybody was doing things against God's word. Everybody was walking down the wrong path. There was economic difficulty. There were political, there was political uncertainty. There was tension spiritually, culturally. And it feels like we're going through that today as well. You know, who knows where the government's trying to lead us? I don't know. I don't believe that everybody in office knows. You know, people's strings are getting pulled and they don't even realize it. So what do we do in times like this? What do we do when we're uncertain? What do we do when we don't see provision? What does God have for us? Where can we find answers? The truth is, is that God gave us his love letter. And in his love letter, we can find hope and we can find the answers that we need. When Elijah declared that there was a drought for the next few years, God told him, go to Kareth Brook. I hope I said it right. I don't know if I did. But go to this brook. Go there, and ravens will bring you food. You'll have water. You will have provision. So Elijah went. But it's a drought. And without rain to come replenish the brook, the brook dried up. So where's Elijah's provision now? Where is he going to go? Let's see how God took care of Elijah. In 1 Kings 17... 8 through 16, the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me, a bite of, bring me a bite of bread, too. She said, I swear by the Lord your God. I have, sorry, <laughs> I lost my place. I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead, do just what you have said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. 
it's important to remember that this isn't just a story or an illustration. This happened. There was a drought. People were suffering. This woman didn't know where her provision was. She had reached the end of her means. There was nothing else for her. Elijah had nothing else at that brook. God sent him to a place of, for looking for new provision. There was uncertainty there. What if this woman turned him away? What if she said, no, what I have is just for me and my house. I have none for you. I can't help you. The hardships are real. But God is real. His love is real. His power is real. The same God that came through for Elijah is going to come through for you. Let's take a deeper look at, at the place, or let's take a look at a deeper look at Elijah and discover some truths that we can still believe today. The first is that Elijah believed in God. Believing is not something we do with our mind. My mind goes, the brook dried up, I have no water. Ravens are bringing me bread, but bread is dry, it dries my mouth out, and without some water to wash it down, I'm not in any good way. But my, but my spirit believing, God has told me that he's going to take care of me. I am going to believe that. When we believe, it activates our faith. When our faith is activated, we obey because we know God has us. When we obey, God makes the path clear to us. Elijah was given very clear instructions. He was given a choice. Do I stay at this dried up brook, pray for provision, but not do what God told me? Or do I go where God sends me? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. He couldn't just hop in his Subaru and drive down to Zarephath. He had to walk there. He didn't have a donkey. He didn't have a horse. He didn't have any means of travel other than walking. That's a tough trip. But he chose to believe. He acted on his faith, and he obeyed God. The word faith is found several times throughout Scripture. But what does faith mean? Webster has two definitions about faith. The first being complete trust in someone or something. The second is strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Another definition of faith is the absolute conviction of truth. I like that one and the first one. Because they are absolute. There's no wiggle room. If something is absolute, that is all there is. God is absolutely faithful. 
God's love for you is absolute. I believe those things. I have absolute conviction that he loves me. I have absolute conviction that he holds my life in his hands. Faith causes us to be 100% certain of the things that God says. There are two primary enemies of faith. Doubt and disbelief. And for a long time, I thought those were the same thing. If I doubted something, I didn't believe it. I thought it was, it was the same. But they're very different. The Greek word most commonly used for doubt means the process of coming to a conclusion through mental judgments. So doubt is something I have in my mind. When we are nervous or anxious about something, we doubt an outcome, or we, we doubt our abilities, or we doubt whatever it is. And the enemy loves overwhelming us with doubt because our mind, the voice in our mind, is just going to be shouting at us, this isn't going to happen, this isn't going to work. What are you doing? And that shout can sometimes overpower that whisper that God is telling you, be calm, be still, I've got you. This is why the scripture tells us more than 365 times, don't be afraid. Don't fear. There's a verse in there for every day of the year that says, don't be afraid. In Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Jesus Christ. Unbelief is different than doubt. The Greek word for unbelief is apistia, which is the opposite of faith. It means to not be certain of anything. Unbelief is a demonic spirit. It wants to throw us off balance and into uncertainty. The best way I can describe this is, have you ever been dizzy or off balance? Okay, you spin around in a circle 50 times and then try to step forward. Do you know where your foot's going to land? Do you, are you sure that when you take that step that you're going to be sturdy, that you're going to not fall down? No you know that that's not going to be the case. You're going to stumble around and chances are you're going to fall. That's what the enemy's trying to do to you. He's trying to get you dizzy. He's trying to make you unsure of where your foot's going to be. He wants to cloud your mind with doubt and unbelief. If you don't believe that God has you, if you don't believe that God has a path laid out for you, Where's your next step going to be? Is it going to be down the path that he has? Or are you going to stray and fall? 
How do we overcome doubt and disbelief? How do we get past that? We exercise our faith. And exercise is hard. It requires work. I can't exercise sitting comfortably in my chair. It doesn't work that way. I have to get up and I have to move. I have to do things in order to grow in strength. And it's the same in faith. I can't grow in faith if I'm just sitting there waiting. I need to put in some work. We grow our faith when we give praise to God. When we believe the things that we're singing now. We grow faith when we're reading his love letter to us. And we're seeing the things, wow, God did this for Elijah. What's he going to do for me? How is he going to get me through? How is he going to get me to the next step of provision? If we allow our circumstances to determine our level of faith, our circumstances are going to win every time. If I go, oh, if God gets me through this, then I'll believe. No, no, no. God already has the victory. So believe him. He already has it. There is no room for doubt or disbelief. It's not going to do you any good. Go, God, thank you. Yes, the bank account is almost empty, but you know what I need. And you're going to provide. I'm going to find that extra $5 bill on the floor when I'm going into the gas station. And it's going to get me just enough. Lord, you're going to send somebody to me that says, I want to bless you today. Let me buy your groceries. You're going to send somebody to me that says, hey, you've been working really hard. How about a raise? Hey, why don't you come have dinner with us? You don't have to cook. You don't have to buy money. Or you, sorry, you don't have to buy money. You don't have to buy food. Let me bless you. When you see those things, you will realize God has the victory. Because that was the battle you didn't have to fight. He gave it to you. I don't have to go hungry tonight because somebody invited me over for dinner. Friday, I was at work. And I was trying to wire something up. And I was having a heck of a time doing it. It was something that it should have taken me five minutes on any normal day. Instead, I was out there for two hours trying to get this one wire to go through some conduit that wasn't more than eight feet long, but I was getting caught up on one turn in the conduit, and I couldn't do it. I tried every trick that I could think of. Sometimes if I bend the wire and I loop it, there's a loop there that when it hits a sharp corner, it allows the wire to curve and make the turn. That wasn't happening. I thought, okay, well, maybe if I try a smaller wire, it'll be more flexible. That wasn't happening. I tried all kinds of tricks that I knew, and nothing was happening. And so I stopped, and I just went, Lord, you have this. Jesus, you are the son of a carpenter, so you understand what a laborer goes through. You understand what a handyman needs. You understand what a, I need, Lord. 
So I give it to you. Take this, lead the wire through. Let it get to the other side. And then I say, it's like, how much time do I have to get this done? I looked, it's, it's time for my lunch. Okay. So I got up, I walked away. As I'm walking away, I just think, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. And I just kept singing that over and over. And I've actually made that an anthem in my life. Every time I hit a struggle, that's the first song that pops in my head. I don't have to think about, okay, what song am I going to sing this time to get the Lord's attention so that he helps me out? It's just right there. It's at the forefront of my mind. And I start giving him praise. Not, God, why did you leave me so that I'm struggling with this wire? God, why are my hours cut? God, why is this happening to me? No. God, you are so good. When I got back from my lunch, I sat down and <laughs> I felt like God said, take your wire, straighten it out, put a little piece of tape on the end. God, that's not going to do anything, but okay. I did it. It went right through. There was no struggle. There was nothing. I ended up pushing three feet of extra wire through because I didn't know I had made it to the other side. God showed me that he takes care of me, even in the little things. If I can believe for the little things, I can believe for the big things. He cares about the sparrow. He cares about me. He formed the birds and animals. He formed and breathed life into us. He spoke them into existence, but he took his time on us. He cares about you. The other thing that Elijah did was that he was obedient. And obedience is the doorway to provision. God told Elijah to leave the brook. The very place that God had told him to go. God had told him, go here, rest. You'll have water. You'll have ravens bring you food. That's awesome. Who wants to leave DoorDash bringing you free food? I'd, I don't. I would want to stay there. But then when the brook dried up and God told him to leave, Elijah got up and he left. God needed Elijah to move. So he allowed discomfort to come to Elijah. Because if that brook had kept flowing and the ravens kept bringing him bread, Elijah would have just sat there in comfort. He wouldn't have gone where God had said, Life is good here, Lord. I don't have to work for this food because it's coming to me freely. I don't have to travel for a drink because the brook's right there. 
I dip my cup and I drink. But God had bigger plans. Would you leave a nice, quiet, comfortable place if God told you? I wouldn't. Life is good there. So God allows his comfort to come into our lives. So we have to look to God, Lord, I'm going through this. So why are you sending me? What is it that you want me to do, Lord? And not, God, I'm hungry. What do I have to do? It's, Lord, I'm trusting for your provision. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? Not, what do I need to do? What would you have me do? God's plan wasn't just to provide provision for Elijah. His plan was to provide provision for a household as well. Elijah's blessing was going to become somebody else's blessing. And Elijah was forced to choose, do I stay here or do I move where God's telling me to go? And do I go after that blessing? And we might think, well, maybe if God had just told Elijah his plan from the beginning, Elijah could have just gone and there'd be no struggle. I myself have tried to think about God's plan and what he has in store. And it boggles my mind. I can't comprehend. There's a reason why in the Bible it says, you are a lamp unto my feet, not you are a floodlight unto my feet. God shows you the next step. He doesn't show you the whole path because if you saw the whole path, it would be overwhelming. It would be terrifying. It would make you freeze and stay put. But if you can just see the next step, that next step is easy. And then I can take one more step and one more step. Besides, God doesn't need to explain himself to me. God doesn't owe me an explanation for anything. God does not owe me anything. Instead, he freely gave me mercy. He freely gives me grace. He freely gives me love. I have no room to ask God for favors. All I can do have faith that God is going to take care of the ones he loves and he loves every one of us he doesn't hold back his love from anyone everyone has his love all they have to do is accept it all we have to do is accept it all you have to do is accept it all God's asking for is your obedience. Just listen to me. Listen to what I tell you. Take that next step, and then I will guide your next step, and I will guide your next step. The third thing is the heart of the matter. In going through difficult circumstances, 
reveals our hearts to us? Are we doing something because God told us that we need to do it? Or are we doing something because I think it's what's best? Or are we doing something not because or not out of obedience to God, but out of well, if I do this, then maybe God will do something for me. What is the condition of your heart? Every obstacle that comes up in our life is a test. It's a test of your heart. What are you going to allow, allow your heart to do? Are you going to allow your heart to listen to God and follow him wherever he's leading you? Or are you going to allow your heart to harden and be angry at your circumstance and close yourself off and be stubborn and be self-righteous even? Lord, I don't deserve this. I'm a good person. I go to church on Sundays. I put my 10% in the offering plate. I sing the songs. I stand up on stage and I say words to people and hope they listen and maybe I'll listen too. Or do I go, God, you're telling me to do this. It's scary. But I'm going to do it. I don't have to see the path because you see it. You've known every step I'm going to take since before I could even take my first step. So I'm going, to follow, I'm going to follow where you lead. And every test that you come up against is going to go from test to testimony. Wow, Lord. Yeah, back when that paycheck was a little small and the bank account was tight and I wasn't sure how I was going to do things. Lord, you provided. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I had this struggle in a relationship, and there was tension, and you came into that relationship, and you mended it. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I was suffering with doubt and disbelief, and then I heard your voice calling out to me. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I had wandered so far off the path, I didn't know my way back, but you guided my steps. And you brought me back, Lord. Lord, when I was that prodigal son and I had gone off, I thought maybe I can just be a servant in my father's house. I won't even sleep in the house. I will sleep with the animals. You saw me coming from a far distance. And you didn't wait for me to come gravel at your feet. Grovel at your feet. You came running to me. You came running to me. You took your cloak and you wrapped me in it. When I'm still covered in muck and mire and every horrible thing that I've done, you took your pure robe and you covered me in it. You took your ring. You claim me as your own. The tests are a good thing. In, 
In James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, he says, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Our faith, our belief, our obedience become perfect through these tests. Because as we're going through them, we see, Lord, you got me through these hard times. I know you're going to get me through this hard time. When we look at David, he didn't go up to Goliath and that was his first test. He had faced bears. He had faced lions. He had faced tests and God got him through those. So when he came to the next test, he said, God, you're going to get me through this. When Elijah's brook dried up, he said, God, you're going to get me through this. You told me to go. I'm going to go. The woman that was there, the widow, when Elijah says, my God has you, she said, okay, I will give you a portion. Before I even eat myself, I will do as you say. I will do as your Lord commands, and I will give a portion to you first. I think the little bit that she had lasted through the drought. It didn't last a couple days. It lasted years. There was always enough. It didn't say that her, her containers were overflowing with flour and oil. But God provided what she needed. They were never lacking. He made sure that they were full. Are you lacking something in your life? Is there a provision that you're needing? Is it a financial thing? Is it a spiritual thing? Lord, I feel like my spirit is dried up. There's nothing there. I need living water to come into me. I need a revival within me. Is it a mental thing? Lord, I've got these battles raging in my mind. It's distracting me. It's tearing me up. Lord, quiet my mind. It's a relational thing. Lord, there's something that's come between my spouse and I. There's something that's come between my brother and I. There's something that's come between my mother or my son or whatever it is. Is there something there? Lord, I need you to provide a breakthrough. That's what he's good at. He's the God of the breakthrough. The enemy puts up the strongholds but my God is bigger. My God is better. My God is stronger. There is nothing greater than my God. Maybe this test isn't the only test or is it just a test for you? Maybe it's a test for somebody else too. And you're both going to find provision together. 
This test wasn't just for Elijah. It was a test for Elijah and the widow. And they found provision together. They both chose to obey. It wasn't just Elijah choosing to obey and going and sitting at the well waiting for the widow. The widow also chose to obey. And there were two gathered there that day. And where two or three are gathered, he is there as well. God's not going to tell you his whole plan for you. Because he doesn't want to overwhelm you. When you think, God, I can handle it. No. I've tried that, and it was overwhelming. But when I said, God, take my next step, that next step led to more provision. That next step led to healing. That next step led to rest. That next step led to fullness of spirit. That next step led to a closer, deeper relationship with my God. If you need prayer over any part of your life, any provision, go to God. God, thank you. Thank you for bringing me this far. Lord, thank you that you already have the next step planned. Thank you that there is provision. Lord, I choose to follow. I choose to obey. I cast out doubt. I cast out disbelief. For your word is true. There is no lie. And I cling tightly to that. And by your word, Lord, I follow you wherever you go. And wherever you put me, Lord, there will be provision. Lord, I offer up every circumstance that I'm in. Every test, Lord, I give it to you to turn from test into testimony. The other part of that word testimony is the moany part. And that's because there is going to be some struggle. There is going to be some moaning. There is going to be some work. But together, that test and those groans of going and doing the work is going to make an awesome testimony. And that testimony can be provision for somebody else. God got you through what? God did what in your life? Do you think that maybe your God can do that for me? I can tell you, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt. I can tell you with absolute belief that my God can do the same miracles for you. If 
you need prayer for provision in your life in any way, I invite you to after service come up. You can talk to me. You can talk to Cynthia. You can talk to Pastor Eric or Pastor Elena or Pastor Jan. We will be more than happy to pray for you. We'll be more than happy to listen to what you need. We'll be more than happy to go to battle for you. That this test isn't going to be yours alone. That this test is going to become something greater. That you will see God in a new, incredible light. That you will have fullness and understanding of His love for you. That there will be nothing missing, nothing broken. You will have perfect shalom. You will be full and complete. Father, I thank you. I thank you for already knowing every circumstance, every circumstance that each one of us is facing. I thank you that you have a perfect plan, that you don't have these things just a half-baked idea in your brain, Lord, that it is a perfect plan, that you know every step. Lord, I thank you that you have a desire to move us from pain into provision. Lord, strengthen our faith. Strengthen our resolve that when we face a test, we choose to obey. We choose to move from test to testimony. Lord, thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you that it will shine through the test. That people won't look and say, wow, Josh, you did a good job getting through this. They would say, wow, Josh, your God got you through this. Lord, I thank you that the blessings that you can give each one of us, Lord, that you will, not that you can, that you will give each one of us, will bless others as well. Lord, I choose to obey. I choose to accept your plan. I choose it over worry. I choose it over anxiety. I choose it over uncertainty. Those things have no place. I choose you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Gateway Sermon Podcast at our Gateway City Church, Clovis Campus. We'll be releasing a new episode every week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week.